Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, for this Wednesday preview show, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by a man who apparently will not have sports betting in his state for another few years. None other than John Paulson, who is shaking his head because he's clearly upset about it. Yeah, we had two props out here, Prop 26, Prop 27. They both failed miserably. The uh, DraftKings FanDuel prop was like 85 to 15 the last time I looked. Uh, the uh, Prop 26, which would have limited uh, wagering to the travel casinos only, was at like 70, 30. Uh, and I think what happened is the two competing props with all the negative ads at each other, voters just said, I don't want any of this. So we're just going to vote no on both. Politics, always fun, especially when it pertains to our careers, basically. You Sam, know. Sam Hoppin, also director of analytics here at 44 Football, who is in Illinois with me. Sam, how is your Wednesday morning faring? It's uh, going well. I think we've got our, our last couple days of fall, fall, and then we'll uh, officially be hitting winter here in a couple days. But excited for it, ready for it. Getting dark at 4.30 p.m. now. It's supposed to snow over the weekend. Life is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it is a thin waiver wire for this week for the top of the show, trying to get people ready for their Week 10 already matchups. So I want to begin with some important news that may be able to help people out for the rest of the season. And that starts with Jalen Warren, who is available in a... 92% majority of Yahoo leagues. And it's important because Mike Tomlin, when asked about Jalen Warren potentially becoming a workhorse in this backfield, did not hide from an answer. He actually responded to it directly and said, Warren is a quality back that's made some plays. We'll keep giving him an opportunity to do so, and maybe he'll write that script. Najee Harris, of course, has out-touched Warren 132-41 to on the year. But Paulson, the Steelers are coming out of a bye. And so what are your thoughts for Warren, both for this week, if people were forced to start him for desperation for bye weeks and rest of season? Yeah, this is, uh, I was just looking up uh, Jalen Warren just to confirm that he was undrafted. Uh, Najee Harris, the former first-round pick, this is a wild turn of events Uh not so surprising, you know, heading into the season, given that Najee Harris has been dealing with this foot injury. We don't know how healthy he is. So I'm interested to see long-term how he fares. Does he look a lot better next year after a off-season of, of recovery? Uh, we, don't, we just don't know how healthy he is, but he's got 3.3 yards per carry. <clears throat> so that's why they're sort of going to uh, perhaps going to the rookie. He had um, nine touches in his last game. Uh, which was more than the four and the two that he had the two previous games, but he did have nine touches back in uh, week five uh, and then went back down to a lower roll. Uh, his snaps have kind of stayed in that 25, 30% range. Um, so, it will be, you know, other than that 50% game against Buffalo, he really hasn't uh, played any sort of starter or lead type snaps yet. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does, but, you know, nine touches for 75 yards. I'm sure the, the Steelers are looking for any kind of production they can get out of the position. And as we as we all know, coming out of the bye is when they tend to get rookies, young players more involved in the uh in the in the action in the offense. And Sam Warren has recorded 13 touches of 10 plus yards to Najee Harris's 12 this year, despite seeing 
literally 99 fewer touches than Harris on the year. And maybe that is because Harris is injured. Uh, for the haters and losers, just know only two of those touches are on third down. So do not say it's a screen on third and long. That's not correct whatsoever. But if Warren were out there, because we know high stakes players, FFPC and FFC leagues shuffle their backups a lot. If Warren were out there, how much fab do you think he'd be spending on him? And I understand that it may come down to the context of your roster. That's a good question, putting it in the context of Fab. I mean, I think it, it's tough because he doesn't have a defined role yet. We don't know what that would look like, but if you're speculating as to what it could become, and it, he certainly looked like the better back in this backfield. He's got better numbers by almost every advanced metric than Harris so far this season, but I'd probably be willing to go in the 20 to 30% range. I mean, just knowing what he could become given his efficiency. And if you look ahead to the playoffs, which again, we're, we're starting to get close to the plays Carolina and Las Vegas in weeks 15 and 16, who are two of the worst uh, teams to, or I guess two, two of the best matchups for running backs based on our adjusted fantasy points allowed. So there's an opportunity here where again, I, if he's out there now, now is the time that you want to get him. You don't want to try and wait until after this week to potentially see what the workload looks like for him. If we go into this week and it's it's the same thing, again, I don't think 20 or 30% of your fab is really killing you all that much. But if you were to wait and he does go for some reason unclaimed this week, then and then he does get that massive workload, you're going to be having to pay a lot more after this week. Yeah, if you have a lot of fab, this, this is the time to use it. I mean, what are you saving it for at this point? I mean, I've usually spent out at this at this point in the season, but if you're, this is the opportunity. If he's out there, you might end up with an RB2 rest of the season. And as I wrote in the waiver wire column, Harris being the number 24 overall pick literally by this same coaching staff just last year, I still have my doubts Warren ever becomes a workhorse, but can it be a split backfield since he's been the better player this year? Sure. Why not? And I believe in that so much so that given how thin waiver wires are for most even shallow leagues to plug for bye weeks that I would risk Warren's increased touches uh, over a player like Jarrett McKinnon, for example, who I think is fine if you if you need someone to plug for buys, but I'd just rather take a chance on Warren. Someone else I'm curious to get your thoughts on, Paulson, this week, because maybe taking a chance on his perhaps increased touches could be better than opting for McKinnon as well, is Rashad White, since there is piece of news out there from Greg Allman, who does an amazing job reporting on the Bucks, and I will say in Allman's defense he was asked essentially for content to make uh, future predictions for the Bucks. And The Athletic, his article, he wrote that one of his predictions, top five, is Rashad White eventually taking over this backfield ahead of Fournette. We don't know when that would happen. And what we saw this past game for the Bucks is in the first half, Leonard Fournette gets five carries and five targets. Keyshawn Vaughn comes off the bench on the second drive before White and gets a carry and a target. And then White leads all their backs with six carries in the first half. So it became a three-headed timeshare for the first time all year. But White, again, still available. We still think he has more upside than Keyshawn Vaughn. What are your thoughts on Rashad White moving forward? This is a little bit different situation. Jalen Warren has been clearly outplaying uh, Harris on a 
per carry basis, 5.28 yards per carry to 3.3 or whatever for Harris. But in the case of Tampa, it's 3.3 for Fournette and 3.1 uh, for for White. And just they just they can't run the ball. The Bucks are terrible at it. And so it's like not a backfield that you really want to buy into right now, which is surprising because this has been such a productive uh, backfield for, you know, scoring touchdowns and catches and all that. So where they, where they can make some hay is in the, uh, in the passing game, but uh, just, you're not, you're not getting into white thinking that he's going to turn into an 80, 90 yard uh, rushing per game type guy. Uh, I, I understand that Fournette was ups- upset that he wasn't going back into the game. So I'm wondering if he maybe gets like a squeaky wheel treatment this week. Um, but I think, you know, you're looking at what Amon's doing with this article. He's just trying, as you mentioned, try to come up with content, try to come up with predictions, uh, something that will get some uh, people like us talking about it on a podcast, mentioning the athletic, et cetera. Uh, but we have seen that White is, you know, inching into Fournette's workload and it it should continue. Uh, you know, Fournette is not looking like the same player that uh, he has been the last couple of years. Sam, <clears throat> Fournette ranked as our RB12 this week for week 10. Uh, what are your thoughts on Fournette moving forward? Do you see his touches, more importantly, his targets, since that's where he's getting all of his value uh, being soaked away slowly as we move along? I I do think there is that opportunity. I mean, I think it's it's tough because, I mean, the, the Bucks spent a day two pick on Rashad White, so I think they they clearly like him, and it's not like they've completely buried him in the depth chart and just aren't giving him any touches, but it's just not the, I guess, sort of progression of the takeover has been a lot slower than I think a lot of people expected. And Leonard Fournette just like, hasn't played that outstanding this year either. And to, to Paulson's point, White hasn't really done enough to differentiate himself at this point in the season. So I do think, White is one of the more valuable handcuffs, again, along with Jalen Warren. I think if I had to choose between those two, it's it's really tough, but I'd probably go with White. I think it, it's it's very tough. It's a, it's a coin flip at this point, but um, I that one's a little bit more speculative from, again, Greg Allman, who you mentioned, versus Mike, Mike Tomlin just coming out and saying that he wants to get Warren more involved. Another running back I think people will have a big debate about this week is Tony Pollard because Ezekiel Elliott having his reps limited at practice throughout this week monitored to make sure he is ready or try to get him ready for the Packers. Uh, Paulson Pollard right now, your RB20 that of course I guess I'm assuming is Zeke doesn't play, plays. What are your thoughts on Pollard pending this Zeke situation? Uh, If... It, it, it uh, to, long story short, Ezekiel Elliott is in the in the rankings, so I'm assuming that he's going to play uh, some role. Uh, it did sound like Jerry Jones was saying that uh, he was expected back, uh, and you know, obviously had the bye to to heal. So we'll see if if Elliott is out, then Pollard's going to be a lot higher. The, the Packers are bad against the run. Uh, he'll probably be ranked in the top ten. Uh, we we saw what he could do. Uh, as the lead back last time. And uh, so, yeah, if you see Elliot in the rankings, obviously that assumes that he's, he's going to be in, I'm expecting him in, but if those, if he's sitting, then those, those touches really uh, most of most of them go to Pollard. They, they did try to work in 
a couple other backs, but uh, you know, Pollard was the man last time out. They got Malik Davis involved for 10 touches. There's also that behind the scenes film that cowboys.com always releases. They they actually only release when the Cowboys win. Uh, no one knows that part. <laughs> but uh, there is the the audio clip of Tony Pollard like a- actually asking off the field at one point, um, saying he's just exhausted after his 14th carry. And, of course, this is an organization that has purposely not made him a featured back because they also believe he can't be. Uh, he's not even a small individual either, but they think he'll get tired. And so it is interesting that he was actually asking to come off the field because he was tired after, as we said, a season-high 14 carries. Paul said, or Hoppin, any other thoughts on this Cowboys backfield? Let's say if Zeke plays. Yeah, I'm looking at Paulson's rankings here for PPR specifically. I mean, I think I'd even have him a little bit higher than, you know, some guys like Najee Harris, Devin Singletary, David Montgomery, who, again, are, are guys who we think could have a slightly more reduced role and whose offenses in Buffalo, I think, is a little bit up in the air now. The, the Josh Allen news might not reflect uh, Singletary's ranking there. But I think Pollard has still has a high ceiling with Zeke in the lineup. We've seen him break away for long touchdowns. Now the floor is a lot lower if Zeke is playing as well because he's not getting that much more of an increased workload. Granted, Again, I, I think his snap rate was just over 50% in the game before the buy for for the Cowboys. So it's one of those where I think if you have Pollard, you're probably going to start him either way. There, there, You might not have many better options at this point. And I do think that I, I, I would not be that scared of, of Zeke playing in this game and, and totally butchering his efficiency. Someone else whose efficiency has been completely butchered is Michael Pittman. Uh, we did see a couple weeks ago a season-high 39% target share, but then this past game back down to 20%. The Colts the past two weeks with Sam Ellinger also running 57 plays per game compared to 70 in three weeks prior in Matt Ryan's last three starts. And now we have uh, Jeff Saturday, who is unqualified for his job, taking over Parks Frazier, which is a real name. calling plays uh, for the first time, a 30-year-old in the NFL this this upcoming weekend. So, Paulson, what are you doing with Michael Pittman? Is this a situation where you're trying to basically get off of him if you're not starting him? Yeah, if you see where he's ranked, I think, uh, you know, wide receiver 28 and half PPR, things just haven't gone great with Ellinger in the first few starts. Uh, this is a really good matchup against Vegas. They tend to make everybody uh, on the offensive side of the ball on the other team look good. Uh, so I do think this might be a, a breakout spot a little bit for the Colts offense. Um, and sometimes when you have these coaching changes, that first week goes fairly well because uh, the defense doesn't really know what to expect and they get kind of get caught off guard. Uh, I don't know if we can expect that this week. Uh, Frank Reich, I think, is a pretty good coach and probably better than what they're, you know, the type of coaching play calling that they're going to get this week. But again, the matchup's pretty good. It, in a short week, you're still maybe starting Pittman because he's likely to get seven to 10 targets. Uh, and it is a good matchup, but there are definitely several players there ahead of him that I would rather start. That's why he's ranked where he's ranked. I think people have the same question about Jonathan Taylor as well, moving forward, Sam, because no Nye Hines the rest of the season, whenever Taylor is able to return, but then again, a slower offense, 
with Sam Ellinger, a volatile situation on offense overall, given all the changes we just mentioned. What are your thoughts on Jonathan Taylor and what to do with him if you're currently stashing him? I do think I, I do think you start him. I think the I would expect the the default again for um Jeff Saturday in his first game would be to again assuming Taylor is healthy and playing is you know give the best player on your team the ball as much as possible and we've seen time and again that this Raiders rushing defense specifically can be exploited again so I think there's an opportunity for again Taylor another week removed from his injury to get right and and get the full workload and actually have a productive day this week I'd be much more confident in starting Taylor than Pittman at this point. And I don't think that Ellinger being the starter is really as much of a detriment uh, to Taylor as it might be for Pittman. I mean, we've seen that Russian quarterbacks, granted Ellinger hasn't run quite as much as I think I expected over the past couple of weeks, but Russian quarterbacks nonetheless have make their running backs more efficient as well. So I'm if Taylor is playing, I'm I'm starting him, and uh, I would have some confidence that they'll be riding him this week. Is there a tier of players, Paulson, off the top of your head that you would trade Taylor for? Like, how are you valuing him the rest of the season, and what can people expect to get for his return if they are dangling him in trades? Uh, yeah, I do the rest of season rankings uh, on the site. So if you're interested in that, you can see sort of where I have them. I have at RB14, which is quite the precipitous fall for a player that was going RB1 overall. But the big caveat there is I don't know how healthy he is or when he's going to play again. Uh, you know, perhaps this week, I haven't seen any reports that he's back at practice, but um, I believe he re-aggravated the same uh, ankle injury that he had earlier, which just we've seen this happen before where uh, a running back hurts his ankle, comes back, hurts it again, and then just struggles to get back on the field. So I'm not like super optimistic he's going to play this week. I don't have him in the rankings for that reason. And therefore, it's tough to really value him for the rest of season, not knowing when he's going to be back out on the field. So I have him below like a Ramondre Stevenson, uh, Damian Pierce. I'd rather have those guys right now uh, than a questionable Taylor. And then I think you get into like Miles Sanders, who doesn't really have a pass catching role. Maybe you would, I would have Taylor ahead of him. Aaron Jones, we don't know how healthy his ankle is. If his if he's back at practice and is going to play this week, I'll move Jones uh, ahead of uh, Taylor. But you know, you're starting to get into Jamal Williams, questionable workload rest of season. DeAndre Swift, same thing. Uh, Leonard Fournette, we talked about his issues. Uh, so we're getting into sort of the questionable RB2s uh, at RB14, whether or not you, you know you want Taylor for the stretch run or not. I think another player that people are frustrated with currently is Chris Godwin because the volume has not been the issue. The last four games, Godwin has averaged 11 and a half targets. It just hasn't mattered at all for production because – the Bucks turned him into Tampa Bay Deontay Johnson. He's averaging five and a half yards per target this past month from Tom Brady. So what are your thoughts, Paulson, on what to do with Godwin? Because although he's seeing the volume, I don't think you can try to trade for him because you would be taking a discount right now given that the production hasn't followed. Yeah, this is one of those, uh, if if he had a couple touchdowns, we our view of him would be different. And you're just looking at Tom Brady right now, pulled up his game log. He has not thrown 
more than two touchdowns in a game since week four. He's got four touchdowns total in the last five games. So the yards and the attempts are there. He's averaging, you know, he's averaging 44 pass attempts, uh, but the touchdowns have not yet regressed, you know, positively or regressed to the mean to, to a point where uh, Evans and, and Godwin are, we can count on them for a touchdown every other game. So I, I would still think that things would, you know, especially against Seattle that, you know, Brady should be able to throw a couple touchdowns. Um, I would be definitely in a hold with with Godwin. He's definitely, as you mentioned, seeing the volume, and I do think those touchdowns are going to regress. But you know, the downfield uh, lack of downfield targets is a little bit worrisome. Sam, any thoughts on the Buccaneers wide receivers overall? As this offense, the Bucks averaging less than fifteen points the past month, continues to struggle overall. Yeah, a little sneak peek into the breakout model article I've got coming tomorrow, but I've got Chris Godwin as a, a buy low. Again, he has yet to score a touchdown this season. He's one of just three players this season with at least 50 targets and no receiving touchdowns. And to Paulson's point, the, the Bucks are leaning a little bit more into their passing game as of late. They have an 8.2% pass rate over expectation since week four and only one game with a pass rate over expectation below zero in that span. And Again, you mentioned since week four, he's got 10 and a half targets per game, a 22.1% target share. The, the problem, again, is the touchdowns, and Mike Evans continues to dominate the end zone targets. But Godwin's averaging nearly five yards after the catch per reception, which is, I believe, in the top 20 among receivers. So I'm confident that he'll this will regress for him, and he will find the end zone sooner rather than later. So I think this is an opportunity now with, again, his poor fantasy performance, the Bucks going into a bye next week uh, in week 11, where it could be the, the lowest that Godwin's value is at. And volume is king in fantasy football. He's getting a ton of it. And I think that ends up winning out in the long run. Another wide receiver <clears throat> that, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Paulson because Chase Claypool traded the Bears. Thus, the Steelers now have really a three-wide set, but more importantly, two-wide set of Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. George Pickens, who is the player we're talking about here, given that the routes weren't an issue. The past two games before Claypool was traded, Pickens was running more routes than Claypool in both contests. But we expect the target share to become more condensed and open up and increase for Pickens moving forward. Yeah, I think this, well, we'll see who their third receiver is and whether or not that player gets the same sort of targets that Claypool is getting. Uh, they did, they do have a couple of, of players that they could rotate in there. Uh, but Freermuth, uh, Pickens, and Deontay Johnson definitely should see another target or two per game. Uh, Deontay Johnson's been a, a staple in our uh, breakout receiver model. Um, by the way, uh, Chris Godwin's appearing in there. He's been in there the last month, uh, so he's due for a touchdown as well. Uh, Pickens is in, is popping in the breakout model as well. And, and what this is a function of, I think, is a, a not very good, efficient quarterback targeting these players a lot. Air yards are fairly high. Targets are fairly high. The routes run are fairly high. And we're not seeing a lot of fantasy production because the touchdowns aren't there. Uh, Freeman was doing pretty well, but he's also in the breakout uh, receiver model. So all three of the the top targets there for, for Pittsburgh are there. Um, so it's just a function of, we don't have Ben Roethlisberger there anymore. 
Uh, we've got a downgraded court. Not that he was the greatest quarterback in the world, but he could at least support some fantasy options. Uh, and we've got a situation where there's not a lot of touchdowns being scored. So these guys are disappointing. It does seem like they're more startable in terms of volume uh, with Claypool out of the way, but I don't think we should expect, you know, multiple touchdowns per game now that, you know, Claypool, it doesn't make any sense. It's more of a, uh, maybe an extra target or two will get you an extra 10 or 20 yards and that, you know, boosts Johnson and, and uh, perhaps uh, Pickett's as well. He, uh, Pickett does seem to have a, a good rapport with Pickens and on the yards per target he's way higher to Pickens than he is to uh, Deontay Johnson right now. And I would normally be concerned, Sam, since Kenny Pickett is last in the league in completion rate on throws 10 and 20 yards deep. Uh, outside of Zach Wilson, he's been the league's worst deep thrower. But at the same time, if we're giving Pickens more volume moving forward, especially since our adjusted fantasy points tools have the Steelers with the easiest schedule for wide receivers moving forward for the rest of the season, then I think that opens the door for Pickens to have more volume and thus more opportunity to succeed. It's Pickens is an interesting case because with the Claypool trade, again, people automatically went to, well, Pickens is the the primary beneficiary. John T. Johnson's already sort of getting his own, but it's a situation where I think I'm not going to sell high if I have George Pickens because I do believe there is a case where he does pan out and could be, you know, potential wide receiver three or, or even better for the rest of the season. But I'm also not going to buy him now if I don't have him because the perceived value that Pickens has is going to be a lot higher given the again, the, the high passing rate attempts that the, the Steelers have, the Claypool trade, like I mentioned. So it's he's just a, a hold for me, and I'm not, but I'm also not willing to overpay because Pickett hasn't been the best quarterback by any means. And even if there is a lot of volume, it's it's not efficient volume by any means. I want to get into some notable usage trends because, Sam, I know you want to talk about the Falcons' backfield since Cordero Patterson who we were told was going to be limited as I took him out of DFS lineups, led the team in carries and touches, scoring two goal line touchdowns and the very first play of the game, split out wide, gets a target for a concerted touch as well. What are your thoughts on this Falcons backfield moving forward for everyone? Yeah, there were some conflicting reports Sunday morning. Some people said he would be limited, and then I think Jake Glazer came out and said that he'd be a full goal for the the Falcons. But he was tied for the lead team lead in snap share at 38.7% tied with Tyler Algier in that game. So that's still a little down from his pre-injury snap rate of about 62% and had 14 total opportunities, which again, down from the 18.7 opportunities per game he had at the start of the year. I do think that Tyler Algier, again, being tied with with Patterson uh, for snap share and being given 11 opportunities, knowing how much the Falcons do run the ball, that both Patterson and Algier can have some fantasy value for the rest of the season. It seems like they are the the two guys in this backfield. I think Caleb Huntley is probably someone you can drop at this point, unless you think that there's a chance Patterson re-aggravates his injury. But 
again, he got Patterson got all three of the Falcons carries inside the five yard line on this game. But Algier just sort of looked like the better rusher. He averaged 5.3 rushing yards over expectation per carry in the game. So there's there's an opportunity here where I think, again, both of these backs could be valuable. And with how often the, the Falcons don't want to use uh, their best players in Kyle Pitts and Drake London, it benefits Patterson and Algier for the rest of the season. Patterson, your RB17, Paulson, Algier, your RB34. We also know Damian Williams to Sam's point about dropping Caleb Huntley. Damian Williams within one or two games of returning to this backfield as well. How do you view them for Thursday, given the good matchup against the Panthers? Yeah, that was an interesting game last week with the report that he would be limited. And he actually was limited. He just happened to score two touchdowns. He got 14 touches and uh, ended up with the two touchdowns, which kind of hurt some people uh, on that early uh, preseason or pregame report. Uh, but you look at Algier, uh, as, as uh, Sam mentioned, really ran well, 9.9 yards per carry, but the four previous games, 3.4, 3.4, 3.1, 2.8, really has been lackluster in the yards per carry department. But as soon as uh, we get Cordero Patterson back, he you know has a really good, has a breakout game. So that's just interesting. He's been pretty inefficient over the last month uh, until this game. So, you know, I view, I don't think that they ever want to give uh, Cordero Patterson 20 plus touches on a regular basis. Again, they probably did that at the start of the year, 18 to 20, whatever it was, uh, because they're just trying to, you know, figure out who the backup was going to be. Uh, they thought it was going to be Damian Williams, but he got injured. So they, you know, were now rushing to get uh, Algier, the rookie up to speed. And then uh, now that he is, I think what they envision here is a one-two punch with uh, Patterson, you know, playing and scoring opportunities, getting maybe getting some catches and having maybe 10 to 12, 10 to 13 carries instead of uh, 18 or 20. So I think uh, Sam is right that they both have some uh, fantasy value, especially next two weeks. Carolina is 31st in just a fantasy points allowed to running backs. Chicago next week, uh, 29th. Uh, they don't really have a bad matchup until week 16 when they play uh, Baltimore, a bunch of neutral and mediocre matchups otherwise. The last time we saw Christian McCaffrey before the 49ers went on by, he recorded 26 touches, which is more than any 49ers running back have recorded in any game this year previously, and 81% of the team snaps. Team hits by, they'll return on Sunday night against a Chargers defense, allowing the most rushing yards per game. What are your thoughts on Christian McCaffrey moving forward, Sam? Yeah, I mean, it, we we rarely talk about the guys at the top because they're they're being locked you in your lineups all the time. Like it's not that hard, but it's I think bef- when this trade happened, I I was certainly pessimistic that he would get the same level of workload that he did in Carolina because the 49ers just have better and and more weapons than the Panthers do. But in six games with Carolina, he averaged about 17 and a half expected PPR points per game. In his two games with San Francisco, he's averaging 18.3. You can see him twice on the chart here because it's uh, a couple games with, with Carolina and a couple games with San Francisco over the past several weeks. But you can see his workload has not changed. Now, some people might be skeptical because one of those games was without Debo Samuel, but it's 
a situation where I think, again, we, we rarely talk about buying high and you'd be buying at the absolute highest that McCaffrey is, but he's just, I, I think he is the RB one for the rest of the season and is someone that again, you'd pay up a lot for, but if, if there's a situation where, and again, this might be tough to do, but selling Joe Mixon off of his record setting performance packaged with someone else and getting Christian McCaffrey in return, that's, that's the type of trade I'm trying to make because the, this offense is going to be much more efficient and they're, they have proven that they're going to use him in those workload, uh, excuse me, workhorse roles. And given that there were loads of people actually that thought McCaffrey would not get targets because Shanahan quote unquote, doesn't throw to his running backs. Maybe that opportunity to trade him or trade for him. Paulson is still out there. As Sam said, especially following Mixon's five touchdown performance. Yeah. I mean, you think about, you know, a good court, a good coach like Kyle Shanahan, he's no dummy. Like you're going to go trade for Christian McCaffrey. and You're not going to use him as a receiver. Uh, that, I mean, that's just, that's kind of dumb. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in P- full PPR, I probably have McCaffrey number one. Uh, in half PPR, uh, Derek Henry has a really, really nice rest of season schedule. So I think it's close between those two. Henry's playing so well, getting so many touches. But I do feel like McCaffrey's probably a little less game script uh, dependent. So if, if, if Tennessee falls behind, you might, they've been pretty good about sticking with, with Henry. Uh, but it, that that Tennessee offense does feel a little bit fragile right now with with uh, Tannehill uh, dinged up and uh, Malik Willis, you know, maybe attempting ten passes a game. Uh, whereas McCaffrey is, you know, in a what what should be a really good offense, quarterback who's playing well, other weapons to, to take the uh, attention of the defense. So definitely a case uh, in PPR for sure. And then half PPR, I've got him at two. You know, can can you get uh, McCaffrey for Saquon Barkley or Mixon plus something? Maybe you can. Uh, I think that's a, a at least a, a trade to investigate because McCaffrey does look like he's going to see a huge role rest of season. Browns, Dolphins, second highest total, 49 and a half points on the slate this week. And Donovan Peoples-Jones, Sam, is actually available in a majority of shallower leagues. Peoples-Jones, who in his last five games quietly recorded at least four catches and 50 receiving yards in all of them with a 20% target share, but no touchdowns in that span. What are your thoughts on the Browns wide receivers right now? Because people will also have an option, let's say, to pick up Donovan Peoples-Jones, knowing that Deshaun Watson could also elevate him from week 13 on through the fantasy playoffs. Right, and you're, I'm aligned with you there. I mean, before I get to Peoples-Jones, just want to know, Amari Cooper's quietly having a solid year so far. He's currently sitting as the wide receiver 13 in PPR points per game. None of his stats, advanced stats, particularly jump. Off the page, he's been sort of fine in, in a lot of those major categories, but does have five touchdowns this season, which helps. But again, Peoples-Jones is is someone I'm intrigued by as a late-season breakout. Again, because you mentioned Deshaun Watson coming back, it, I think there is some skepticism as to whether he'll return to the elite-level play, but I don't think it can, even if he is has taken a step back with a couple years off, it can't be that much worse than Jacoby Brissett, but Peoples-Jones is the only other receiver on the Browns to be running a route on more than 50% of the team's dropbacks this season. He's at 85.5%, but 
Unfortunately, he has just a 19% target per route run rate and is averaging just five and a half targets per game over his last four games. But having said that, Peoples-Jones has been able to produce for fantasy as a solid flex. He has double-digit PPR points in four of his last five games. And I think I would, I mean, I would expect Cleveland's 29th ranked pass rate over expectation to jump a little bit when Watson returns. I don't think they're going to want to hide this guy that they paid so much for when he comes back. Now, do I expect that to be, you know, top seven or top five? No, but if they get even to the upper half of the league, that will, uh, you know, rise all of the the tides in in Cleveland, right? And is it the Ohio? I, I don't even know what lake it is. But in any case, um, you see that the the concentration for the top three Browns players is not that high. But for both Cooper and Jones together, those are the two primary targets uh, for Brissett right now. And and I don't see a way that any other Browns receiver sort of breaks into that. Oh, before, before I comment on the geography, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, my geography it was not my best subject in in high school or middle school. I thought it was Lake Erie up there. Cleveland. That's what is I it Lake Erie? Too. Maybe my geography isn't bad at all either. Yeah, I thought I it was it all is. Lake Michigan. I thought it extended down from Chicago all the way down. It does to Indiana, but I don't. Uh, it does to uh, no, it does to it Indiana. Is, not it to is Ohio. Lake Erie. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, all right. Well, no, I'm. I, I get. I get a help. trivia point. Okay, Enough fine. lake talk. I get a, I get a trivia point on that. Uh, interestingly, I think this might just be random, but Amari Cooper, all of his good games have happened at home. He's got at least 44 yards and a touchdown in every home game on the road. He has uh, gone for three for 17, six targets, uh, one for nine against Atlanta on four targets, which is one of the worst. Uh, you know, best matchups for a receiver. And then he three for 74 on four targets, decent game at Baltimore. And as a result, uh, if you look at Donovan Peoples-Jones on the road, six for 60 on 11 targets against Carolina on the road, uh, five for 71 on the road against Atlanta, nine targets. And then on the road against Baltimore, six for 71, six targets. But he's also played pretty well at home, 50 yards or less five games, 71, 50, 74, 71, 81. So he's a, he's a live uh, sneaky start this week in a, which should be a high scoring game. And it's on the road. And now is the time. Usually I would not advocate for stashing multiple defenses, two defenses or two quarterbacks in one quarterback league. But now I think is the time to roster Deshaun Watson uh, from week 13 on to the fantasy playoffs. Of course, the Browns get the Texans, Bengals, Ravens, Saints and Commanders. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, what about the Cardinals receivers, Sam, since we've seen Rondell Moore the past two games now? being used primarily primarily from the slot. And that's why he has uh, second on the team in targets to DeAndre Hopkins in that span. After three weeks ago in Hopkins' debut, being used primarily as a boundary receiver, we did not succeed. Yeah, I'm, uh, again, it's, it's tough to think that Cliff is actually doing something right here, but it looks like he's starting to use Rondo more, a little bit more effectively. You can see on the chart here that since week six, the, Cardinals have the second most concentrated passing attack between Hopkins, Moore, and Zach Ertz. And so I think, again, that I, Rondale Moore was probably dropped in a lot of leagues. I know he was in, in a couple of leagues that I was in, but he, if he is still somehow available, he's definitely worth an add. 
I think the other guy worth noting here is Zach Ertz. Um, he had averaged just four and a half targets per game when Hopkins was in the lineup prior to week nine and had uh, eight targets, his most since Hopkins returned this season. In week nine, he ran a route on a season high 97% of Arizona's dropbacks and found the end zone for the second week in a row. Ertz, so far this season, ranks third in targets per game, second in end zone target share, and second in routes run rate among all tight ends. The Again, the Cardinals know who their best players in the passing game seem to be, which is great. So I think Zach Ertz is someone I'm holding or potentially buying if I'm looking for some stability or consistency at the tight end position, whatever that may mean. But it's it's certainly looking a little better for Cardinals pass catchers than it did earlier in the season outside of Marquise Brown's performances. I will only say that Ertz, of course, this past game uh, succeeded against a Seahawks defense allowing the most fantasy points per game. But prior to that, seven starts with DeAndre Hopkins was averaging four and a half targets per game. And that's what he was averaging in those couple of games when Hopkins returned as well. So I, I still don't know. Like, I think I'm trusting the larger load of evidence that Ertz is an afterthought with Hopkins on the field. Uh, and this was a blip on the radar against Seattle's defense. But at the same time, you know, the tight end landscape, unless you have Andrews or Kelsey, it just doesn't matter anyway. So sure, everyone trade for Ertz. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Just play somebody. Uh, I would. I want to close this with thoughts both for Week Ten and moving forward. And Paulson, the Patriots on by. We expect Damian Harris, who was out this past week, to return since he was only ill. Uh, what are you doing? Because this is the opportunity if you want to to sell Ramondre Stevenson ahead of Week Eleven. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I have uh, Damian Harris in a league, and I'm not optimistic that he's going to get back to his you know, consistent 15, I guess he did have 11 carries against Baltimore, but, you know, scoring some touchdowns. I just, I don't think his role is the same now that it was at the start of the year. However, you know, against the Jets, he played 41% of the snaps, which is about what he was playing the first four weeks of the season. So I guess there is opportunity there. Uh, He has to be efficient uh, and he has to get those goal line carries. It just seems like it's now, Stevenson's backfield they are going to rotate in Harris if he's healthy uh, but if he's ill or he's got a hammy or something they're going to use that as an excuse to to limit his his upside I don't see him getting a you know he, he had 80, 18 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown against the Packers I don't see foresee a lot of games like that uh, rest of season I think that's more likely going to come from from Stevenson Sam, let's start with you because this may be the first game we have Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk all at full strength since they did play together, but McCaffrey was limited in his debut. Uh, How do you view Debo and Ayuk given that all will be available? But for this week, I think all of them are startable. The Chargers defense does not look like what we expected it to. So... There, there's an opportunity here, again, coming off the bye for Shanahan to, again, take more time to to prep for this game. I think at this point, the odd man out rest of season is probably Brandon Ayuk, just given the the talent at the the other positions. So that said, I'm not, I'm not going to sell them because I think 
there is an opportunity for all of these guys to stay involved. Hopefully the offense is just concentrated around these four players. And it's, it's an offense that's efficient enough where multiple players can be scoring. I think if there are opportunities with, with Debo again, coming off of missing a game or with, um, you know, some people worried about Ayuk thinking that Debo is going to take a bunch of his work to buy low on these guys. Again, they're past their buy, which is a, a huge thing at this point when considering trades is do you get that sort of extra week of production from the players who are past their buy and whatnot? But it's I'm bullish on the 49ers offense for the rest of the season, and I'm excited about the way that it's going to be going. Your thoughts, short-term, Paulson, on the 49ers receivers? Yeah, I think it's really tough to like give up or trade Ayuk right now. He has you know eight for 83, two touchdowns, 11 targets in week six, seven for 82 and 11 targets in week seven, and that was with a healthy-ish or healthy Debo Samuel and George Kittle also playing. So you are adding uh, McCaffrey to the fold. Um, I think McCaffrey affects... Debo more negatively than Ayuk, given the nature. They're fairly similar players. I mean, obviously, Debo is a, a yak uh, receiver, whereas uh, McCaffrey is a pass-catching running back, but they both sort of get targets in the same areas of the field. So I think, you know, if, if some, one player is going to see a dip in targets, it might be uh, it might be Debo. Uh, so, you know, his value to me has kind of dropped uh, in the last few weeks. You know, just, you know, he's not carrying the ball as much. And I don't know that, you know, what are they going to do now with uh, with McCaffrey and, and Debo in terms of uh, carries? So uh, I just have a tough time giving up a guy that's that's playing as well as Ayuk is, you know, eight, 81 yards in three straight games, you know, seeing 28 targets in that span uh that's tough to to give up uh but you know maybe you are selling high it's just hard to see it's hard to know you know how much shanahan will now throw the ball more in order to take advantage of all the talent that he has or does he stay run heavy we saw that mike mcdaniel and in miami we we thought that they were going to be like a run heavy offense because that's what cal shanahan ran Uh, but he has come out and really taken advantage of uh, the speed that he has at receiver with Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, and you just has become a very pass-heavy offense. Does does Shanahan maybe take a page out of that book and do the same thing? Jimmy Garoppolo, very clearly the big winner here as well. My top yes. in the waiver wire column. Also, very quickly, since people have asked, uh, I would want Kadarius Tony over Odo Beckham wherever that's possible. Rest of season, uh, McCall Hardman also not practicing on Wednesday, so we may see an increased role by default for Tony as early as this week against the Jaguars. And for those with Kate Otten, just be aware, Cam Brait returned to practice at the end of last week. I would expect he plays. I don't know how much he eats into Otten's route participation, but I would imagine it's some. So just something to be aware since we try to get everyone ready before your show closes the week, Paulson, on Friday. Any other thoughts, Sam, for the rest of the week and what you have on the site? No, uh, no other thoughts. I it's again. There's there hasn't been a ton of movement. Uh, I mean, I think it's there's a bit of a come down after the the trade deadline this past week, and it'll be interesting to see again 
uh, how players start to get more ingrained in their offenses in their second or third weeks with their new team. So um, excited to see that. But Hoppin's conclusions out this morning. Have the breakout article tomorrow, and then uh, plenty of charts over on on Twitter. Same as always for me, getting uh, sneaky starts up uploaded uh, today. Uh, keeping up with rankings and uh, the podcast on Friday. We will also be back with DFS content, myself and TJ Hernandez, Friday, live, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, every single week. And for all the cheapskates in the chat asking ranking questions, discounts, subs are discounted the rest of the seasons. Help us out. Stop asking questions. Until next time, be a little bit kinder and buy a sub than what's required. We'll see you then.